overwhelmed me with your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do you who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your right deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. May God bless the reading of his word. Picture Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. He's swinging in the schoolyard, happy and content on a swing. Then comes along the school bully named Mo. He is twice as big as Calvin. He has a sloping brow. He has arms like pile drivers. And he says, get off the swing, Twinkie. And Calvin says, forget it, Mo. Wait your turn. The next frame has no words. It just shows Mo with a huge roundhouse punch. And Calvin goes head over heels flying. And then in the last frame, Calvin's looking right at us and he says, Sometimes it's hard to be religious when certain people are not incinerated by bolts of lightning. Ain't it the truth? Sometimes it's hard to be a disciple of Jesus and to maintain our faith and to have hope when evil flourishes. The theologians call it the problem of evil and suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And I'm wondering if we can find some hidden hope Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow in the type of psalm called Lament. It's actually the uh, most common type of psalm. Did you know that? Normally we think of psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and heavens declare the glory of God, and uh, that's in the book of Psalms. But this type of psalm is the most common. The book of Psalms has 150 psalms, and about 50 of them, about a third of them, say, why? God, what's going on? And Psalm 88 may be the darkest chapter in the book of Psalms, if not the whole Bible. As we open up this especially dark chapter, would you join me in prayer? 
Our great gracious Father, please give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to comprehend at least as much as we can this vexing question of why good people suffer. In Jesus' name, amen. It may be the darkest chapter in the book of Psalms or the whole Bible. Notice the recurring themes. You put me in a pit, the darkest places. My eyes are dim. This is a place of darkness. He can't see. He's groping. What's going on? Notice the recurring theme of death and the grave. My life draws near the grave. I'm set apart with the dead, like, uh, like the slain in the grave. Another uh, theme that comes up again and again in this psalm is the idea of being overwhelmed or carried along in a flood of grief or drowning. Verse 7 says, you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Verse 16 says, your wrath has swept over me. It has surrounded me like a flood. It has engulfed me. So what are we supposed to make out of this psalm? Here at Crossbridge, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It has been inspired or literally breathed out by Him into human authors. And they have written His Word, but it's filtered through their own personal experience, the the divine author and the human author. So why has God given us, through the experience of this poet, His inspired word of God. Darkness is my closest friend. Augustine, one of the early church fathers around the year uh, 400 or so, called the Psalms a school of prayer. What are we supposed to learn? Another of the church fathers, Ambrose, called the Psalms a gymnasium for the soul. How do we exercise? How do we work out our faith with this dark chapter? My proposition for you is see if you can't find some hidden hope even with this Lament, this cry in the darkness. This sermon today is for those of you who are depressed. You might call it a spiritual depression. Because it's related to, God, what's going on? I thought you loved me. I thought you promised victory. What is this? This sermon is for those of you who are doubting, those of you who feel abandoned, those of you who the thought of suicide flits through your mind at times, those of you 
who resonate, darkness is my closest friend. I don't want to minimize, I don't want to simplify the complex nature of, 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 of depression, but we might tackle this from the angle of spiritual depression related to our, our relationship to God. Why, God? Why? And this text, this word of God, a strange word of God, may contain some hidden hope in what we call lament. Please notice, first of all, that these laments, you know, the whole class of these, uh, these psalms, 50 of them or so, please notice that they are honest expressions. They're raw. They just, they just sort of lay it out there. They pour out the heart to God. They argue. They complain. And one of the lessons we learn is that such honesty is okay. It's modeled for us. It is inspired for us. This wrestling with God is part of what it means to be a follower of God. It's actually helpful. It is spiritually beneficial to articulate your doubts. Do you have a place where you can do that? Do you have a group of people where you can do that? Or does everything always have to be happy, 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 praise the Lord? What are we supposed to do with Psalm 88? Rip it out of the Bible? See, doubts are like spoiled children. If you ignore them, they will hit you. Don't go underground. Don't pretend. Find an appropriate place for an honest expression of your lament. But some people feel that this kind of honesty, uh, you know, they object to it. And I, I, I want to be fair with those objections because there, there is something to be said for them. One objection is theological. Some people feel that this psalm is sort of sub-Christian or maybe pre-Christian. One commentator has said that uh, in light of the cross and the resurrection, woohoo! I'm quoting, this psalmist's pessimism is now a theological impossibility. He may be right, theologically, but psychologically, I know that it's not an impossibility. And in our lived daily experience, it's not an impossibility to identify with this psalmist. <coughs> Some other people object uh, sort of on social grounds, not necessarily theological, but on social grounds. Namely, this is not polite conversation. This is not, uh, you're going to discourage other people. It's not acceptable to talk this way. You're going to embarrass them. You're going to embarrass yourself. 
You may feel that way inside, but keep it to yourself. I learned that lesson when I was a teenager. When I traveled a long and winding road with my mother as she faded away from cancer. I remember distinctly my father saying to me when I was lamenting, and I remember his saying, well, you're learning how to be a man. I think he meant you're learning how to suffer privately. It's not socially acceptable to say this kind of thing. So for those of you who feel that pain is best kept inside and that all of our expressions of doubt and anger and complaint, that it's just wrong to do that, you're going to have to rip this page out of the Bible. Maybe we can be helped if we clarify a couple of things. Maybe if we clarify um, the Bible's teaching on complaining. Because there, there is a type of complaining which is wrong and sinful and we shouldn't do that. But it is not this kind of complaining. But, but let, me, let me try to uh, clarify. Our English word complain is pretty broad. Uh, if you look it up, you'll see at least three definitions. It means to express pain, like, oh, my back's killing me, you know, that, with that kind of complaint. It also means to find fault. Um, she was complaining about her boss, you know, uh, criticizing. Uh, it also means, it's actually a legal term, like, like, you know, in law courts, to swear out a complaint against someone, to bring an accusation, a charge, to bring a complaint. All of that's included in our English word complain, but Hebrew is actually more exact in this regard. One Hebrew word is loon. It means to lodge or to stop or to spend the night. Thus it came to mean to stand obstinately. <laughs> All uses of this word are confined to six chapters in the Old Testament, and those six chapters deal with the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Remember how they complained all the time? There's no you know, food, there's no water, Moses stinks, everything's bad. This kind of complaining loon is sin. This kind of complaining is a stubborn refusal to believe in the goodness of God, even when he's displayed that goodness to you. He's brought them through the Red Sea. It's hard-hearted. It's unbelief. Life stinks. At one point in those chapters in the Old Testament, they actually say, God hates us. That's pretty severe. Another uh, Hebrew word for this concept of complaining is rib or rib. This means to grapple, to wrestle, to, to wrangle, to, to, to clutch and to wrestle. 
Thus it came to mean verbal wrestling with legal overtones, like to bring a complaint against someone else. You can see it there in Jeremiah 12.1, which says, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. That's the word. When I bring a case. When I complain before you. When I, when I take you to court. Yet, I would speak a word with you about your justice. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Please note, this kind of complaining, this wrestling with God, this, 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 uh, this debate, this, this kind of complaining is not condemned in the Bible. This is the kind that we see in Psalm 88. Hey, do you know that great verse uh, from Job? Remember Job, you know, stricken with boils and, you know, his, his family was wiped out. And you remember that whole story. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Isn't that a beautiful, you know, model of faith? Did you ever read the rest of the verse? And I will surely defend myself to his face. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Though he slay us, we trust him, but what's going on? I am a righteous man. I don't mean I'm perfect. I know that, I know that, but, but you know, my heart is, I fear the name of God and I'm trying to do the right thing. What's going on? This kind of complaining, if you will, if you want to use that word, is modeled, warranted. It's okay. Wrestling with God. One other word, third Hebrew word, siach, siach. This means to sigh or to complain, to meditate, to muse, kind of... Ah, kind of going over it in your mind, to sigh or to complain. Job said, therefore I will not keep silent, I will speak out of the anguish of my spirit, I will complain, there's the word, I will siach in the bitterness of my soul. This kind of complaining, this sighing, is acceptable before God. It is lamenting. Wrestling, reeb, and sighing, siach, are normal parts, not abnormal, of the experience of followers of God. Larry Crabb is a Christian counselor, and he's thought a lot about lament, because, you know, people come to him, they're depressed, they have problems. And Larry Crabb says that one of the least user-friendly truths that the Bible teaches is that in this life, something is always missing. I'm going to speak to you next week on another psalm of lament. 
And we're going to talk about living in the hinge. Living in this current experience. The, the future is great. Woohoo! Resurrection. Woohoo! Victory. Yeah. The past is great. God saved us and He put us on this path. But right now, we, we live in this hinge, this constricting place. Because that's the nature of this world. If this world was not a place of pain and death and separation and betrayal and physical disease and, 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 we wouldn't really hope for heaven, would we? But our hope is future deliverance. But in the meantime, we sigh and we wrestle. It's called lament. So just to summarize this, uh, this uh, contrast between grumbling or, you know, the sinful kind of, uh, of, of complaining and lamenting, grumbling stands pat and contemplates the dirt. <clears throat> Look at that dirt. That dirt is really stupid. That dirt is really dirty. And, uh, and lament, it's a search. God, I know that you love me. I know that you're powerful. I, I know Jesus died for us. I, where is it right now in the hinge? Grumbling, the bad kind of complaining, is, is closed. Your mind is made up like those people in the Old Testament. Uh, God hates us. He, he doesn't, he's, or he's forgotten us. God has Alzheimer's disease. Well, that's, don't go there. Lament is open, like, God, have you forgotten me? Grumbling is satisfied, put that in quotation marks, you know, like, life stinks, period, and that's the way it is, and I'm, I'm just going to let you know about it, and, and I, you can't convince me otherwise, okay, this is the way it is. Lamenting is, it's unsatisfied, because the Bible's depiction of God doesn't match my experience. You see, the Bible teaches that God is pure love, yeah? Right? Hundred percent. Not kind of half and half. Not kind of hot and cold. And he, all his actions are love. And it's hard for us to square X, Y, and Z. The Bible teaches that that God is all powerful, omnipotent, right? Omnipotent, super powerful. He created everything, and nothing can touch him. You know. Don't you have enough power to deal with A, B, and C? The Bible's depiction of God, which we believe and which we cling to, doesn't match our experience. And so we lament and we question. These are honest expressions of faith. 
Did you hear what I'm saying? These are expressions of faith. Jesus modeled lament for us. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Our Lord Jesus died with a psalm of lament on his lips. My God, my God, why? What's going on? Psalm 22. Lament promotes authenticity. That's a high value for us, isn't it? Especially for young people. Just, just be real. Just, well, th- this is one of the uh, tools God has given us for dropping our masks. Being authentic, not pretending. Laments promote accountability. Right? Because if you are coming forward with your doubts and your questions and your problems, then other people know about it and they can, they can hold you accountable and encourage you. And we're in this together, right? What did the poet uh, John Donne say? No man is an island unto himself, but even each of us is part of the continent, connected. And laments promote solidarity. We're in this together. Your experience is not unique. This is what it's like, part of what it's like, to be a follower of God. And so, as I say, these are expressions of of faith, even in the midst of the pain and confusion. Look, look at verse 1. O Lord, the God who saves me. The, the, the psalmist still is, you know, he still believes that. He's still clinging to that. Hey, I'm addressing this person. You're the Savior. Verse uh, 11. It is, your, uh, is your love declared in the grave your faithfulness? God, I know that you're faithful, and so... Uh, Are your wonders known in the place of death? Your righteous deeds? This is actually a wrestling with the truths of our faith. And so in an almost paradoxical way, laments are expressions of faith. We sigh and we wrestle, and as we do so, we are implying, I believe. Otherwise, there would be no sighing and wrestling. If we believe God is bad and hard and mean, then that's the way it is. But no, we don't believe that. And so we wrestle. This is what we do when we suffer. We lament. We do not depart from the faith. 
we do not ditch the whole Christianity thing. We believe that God is loving. We believe that God is powerful. And we wrestle. We express ourselves with candor. I'll leave you with one final thought about lament, where you might find some hidden hope. And that is that these laments, these psalms, were corporate expressions. They used to actually sing these things like in their worship services. Can you imagine doing such a thing? Oh, Lord, you have crushed me. Oh, Lord, what is going on? Boy, that's a lot different than our evangelical, modern, you know. But these were corporate. Yeah, it was written by one guy, written out of his experience, but his experience was common experience. And so there might be some hidden strength for us. There might be a means of grace for us if we would do like they did in the Bible and corporately lament. Now that might be a big culture change for Crossbridge. I think it would be a major culture change for most churches. But maybe somehow you can find your own way. A small group, your friends, a gathering, a corporate expression of our questions. So let us conclude by my telling you about my friend, Gary Parrott. Gary was a professor at the seminary where I teach, Gordon Conwell. Gary was a very successful, highly valued, uh, beloved professor. And he was just, he was just doing great as a professor. And then he was in Korea doing some teaching there. And on his way from his teaching site to the airport, he was leaving Korea, flying out. He was on one of those little buses, like from the parking lot or something. And the bus was going up an on-ramp at the airport. And up ahead was some kind of accident. And the bus driver swerved and hit one of those concrete uh, dividers that kind of sloped up like that. And the bus went up that thing and went over off of that on-ramp and fell about 30 feet on the roof. Boom! Almost everyone on the bus died. Gary Parrott had major brain injury. And remembers nothing of that but he woke up weeks later in the hospital. And he has not been the same since. He's doing better. He's recovered some of his professorial abilities, but he 
He can't remember things. He can't articulate he, the right side of his body. He, he kind of limps and uses a cane. Why? Years before that accident, Gary Parrott wrote a hymn based on Psalm 88. I wonder if he has sung his hymn recently. Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out night and day. Let my plea now come before you. Turn and hear me as I pray, for my soul is full of darkness, uh, troubles, and the grave calls to me now. I'm numbered with the dying. Can I go on, O oh Lord? How? Look at the last line. Will I see light, O oh Lord? When? Look at the last line. You have hidden, O oh Lord, where? I'm abandoned. O oh Lord, why? Shall we try it? The music team is going to come forward and we are going to lament together, to sing this together. If you know the... um the tune of